0: As a student, networking is more important for picking up um, kind of firm and career insights. If you're networking with a trainee at some kind of virtual networking event, you know, that's where you might pick up a good quote about the firm's culture, or you might learn something unique about the training that can feed into your, your firm motivation question.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, Sick form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast Series. My name's Camilla and I'm an LPC student and future trainee solicitor. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Jake Shogger. Jake has a fascinating career history, which I'll let him tell you all about. Jake has kindly allowed us to really pick his brains today during this interview. We are covering a lot of ground. We're going to be talking about the different types of interview and application questions and how to answer those. We're going to be talking about the importance of networking and how to network and also how to succeed in these virtual environments that we find ourselves in for um, interviews and assessment centres. Hi Jake, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. As a bit of an icebreaker, it would be great if you could give the listeners an overview of your career history to date.
0: Sure, thanks so much for having me. Um, I've a bit of a weird career history, so um, I've had a job for as long as I can remember. I've been a bin man, a trolley boy, I've done a paper round, worked on a building site, catering. I taught drum kit for for over a decade. Wow. Uh, and and all of that sort of before university. Um, I actually didn't go to university until I was 23. Uh, from the age of 18 to 23, I was in a band full-time, trying to make a go of it, uh, becoming a rock star, but that failed spectacularly in the end when our singer quit. Um, and then I went off to uh, to university. I studied law and business um, at Warwick. Uh, university explored a range of careers, law, investment banking, consulting, and eventually went down the legal route. So. I did a training contract at Freshfields, at that point decided the city wasn't for me. So I left, and since then, I've had this kind of bizarre and varied portfolio career. So I run a publishing company called City Career Series. Um, I practice law for a few hours a month through this great boutique firm called Ignition Law. Um, I founded an e-learning platform, um, Commercial Law Academy, Then I do a bunch of consulting and copywriting for startups. I've helped a few law firms to kind of set up and brand themselves co-run a cake business. I just kind of say yes to whatever comes my way. I, I love the variety, but um, that's where I'm at at the moment.
1: Wow, that's such, that is a really varied career. Um, I think that, I think that's awesome. Um, so I first came across your name and um, your range of books that you published through City Career Series. Um, I just wondered if you'd mind telling us a little bit more about that series and um, what inspired you to create it?
0: Sure. So, I mean, City Career Series was born out of all of my own experiences um, attending dozens of interviews and internships and open days and all the training presentations and insights I'd had over a number of years. And I consolidated that information together, put it in a book, sort of in my final year at university, just to give out for free to members of a society I'd co-founded. It. it was based on all of that feedback that I thought, uh, well, maybe there's a bit of a gap in the market here, let's develop the book further. And, and that's how the commercial law handbook came about. And then I realized I had friends that had gone through similar processes in banking and consulting. So I worked with them over a couple of years to produce books um, to help students with those recruitment processes. And then I met um, sort of the, someone that trains people in business writing, and we wrote a business writing book together. Um, then, then one was focused on kind of applications, and interviews, and internships. And every time I've written a book, I've thought, well, I've got nothing else to write a book about. So nothing else is going to happen. But um, then I pick up more experience. I did the LPC and worked on the LPC revision guides. Um, and then my most recent book, which came out last September, is focused on training contracts. as the training contract handbook. And this, this kind of takes commercial awareness to, to the next level. I was working on that based on kind of everything I learned during my training contract, things I've learned as a practicing lawyer, and it gives a a real insight into what trainees do and kind of fundamental legal principles and processes and due diligence and document review and, and all all of that kind of stuff. So um, it's a bit of a mix seven books out at the moment, and then we'll see what happens uh, in the future.
1: Fantastic. I mean, I can, uh, I've read many of those books that you've just mentioned, and I think that I just think there's actually, you know, nothing else like them. So So, um, yeah, thank you for creating the series. Um, So, Jake, um, you mentioned the Commercial Law Academy just briefly there. I wondered if you'd mind expanding on that a little bit.
0: Sure. So, I mean, this has been years in the making. I've had so many um, students and readers reach out to me over the years saying, is there a way to access the content electronically and, and that kind of thing? So. Um, finally managed to build and launch this comprehensive e-learning platform for aspiring commercial lawyers. So it's got a lot of the content from my main handbooks in text form, then that's supported with hundreds of videos and practical tips, interactive quizzes, um, insights from a bunch of uh, more experienced lawyers. There are downloadable e guides, um, industry expert stuff and insights, um, and then a whole range of practice psychometric test questions. I mean, that course took months of hard work to. I can imagine. But I, I mean, with that, I try to cover the full spectrum of what you need from kind of day one of first year as a student to just figure out what you want to do and, and sort your sort out your personal branding and networking and LinkedIn right the way through to preparing. Um, Rank successful applications, preparing for interviews, loads of commercial awareness stuff. So I've got some real life um, kind of case study exercises based on my own interviews, a bunch of other commercial awareness stuff, um, a current affairs course which is constantly being updated with insights from kind of what's going on at the moment. Um, this uh, course focused on training contracts, growth mindset, launching a business, and and all sorts. And what I've tried to do to support my subscribers more recently is offering these, these kind of monthly subscriber-only Q&A sessions. And there's a forum on there as well where people can ask their questions. And, and I try and answer them as, as quickly as I can. But, um, yeah, definitely the most comprehensive thing I've, um, I've, I've launched and in, in very much for um, aspiring commercial lawyers.
1: That's great. That sounds like a really fantastic resource. Um, I wish that was out when I was applying for training contracts. I think it would have made life a lot easier. Um, Yeah, so that sounds like a great resource. Um, So Jake, what are your top tips for answering motivational interview or application questions when applying to law firms?
0: So, so this is something I normally cover in about 40 minutes in a, a more in-depth webinar. So I've tried to just scale this back to, to kind of core principles. So I think with with career, I mean, motivation questions, you've got career motivation questions, so you know, why do you want to be a commercial lawyer? And then you've got firm motivation questions, which are kind of, all right, you've convinced us you want to be a commercial lawyer, but why do you want to do it at this firm and, and not other firms? Um, and you can kind of prepare for both and structure both in different ways. Starting with career motivation, I know I struggled a lot with this as a student, kind of articulating why I want to be a lawyer, and I know a lot of other students struggle with that. So when I've been coaching and, and mentoring people, Um, an approach to this that's really helped people to understand and articulate their motivation is to tell their story almost in like a chronological order. So you could start with a statement that something like my interest in commercial law stems from, and this could be anything, you know, a conversation you had at school or a particular module you did during your degree. But if you use that as your starting point, uh, it can be a lot easier to then um, talk about this with a coherent structure, especially in an interview. So if you start with my interest in commercial law stems from, you know, a conversation at school, you could then say something like, to initially explore this interest, I, and then explain the next step you took. Because if you took an active step and you explain that, it adds proper credibility um, to the interest that you're trying to, to convey. So you might say, to initially explore this interest, I you know, applied for casual work experience or attended an open day, or you know, this is the reason I decided to study law at university. Um, you can then tell the next bit of your story and say, you know, while studying law at university, I particularly enjoyed the commercial modules and this then led to me attending Open days. So weaving into your answer, or um, what you want to weave into your answer are, are all the things you've done that have helped you to learn more about the career. Now as part of this, you then need to explain what you enjoyed. If you did an Open Day, uh, explain what it was you learned about the career and why this appealed to you. Um, And there are all sorts of things you can pick up on there. You might talk about um, the intellectual challenge or the nature of the work, the kind of international elements or the client-facing elements, um, the fact that there's regular teamwork or the challenge of identifying and mitigating risk, the broader commercial impacts or the kind of business elements of it. But So do think about that as well. So I guess to say that in a more succinct way, um, explain your journey, explain what you've done to learn more about the career and then don't forget to tell whoever, whichever firm it is you're applying to you know, what resonated with you, you know, what aspect you cared about. Um, relating the answers back to yourself is absolutely key. That's where you get credibility and authenticity in motivation answers. So that that's kind of A whistle stop of career motivation. Um, With firm motivation, the firm motivation questions, I I really hated answering these as a student because it took hours and hours and hours. And I thought, you know, I'm just telling the firm stuff it already knows. But firms want to know that if you if you kind of get a training contract offer, you're going to accept it. They want to know that you're genuinely enthusiastic about the firm because this will keep you motivated throughout your training. Um, And it can be a key differentiator between different applicants. So you've got to put in the time. Don't come out with a bunch of generic statements that could apply to you know, any firm in the top 50. You know, saying that you have a stellar reputation and, and you've won a couple of awards, you know, likelihood is all of their competitors have won similar awards with different um, publications or whatever, and also have a stellar reputation. So go a bit deeper. You could look at things like people and culture, as long as you can explain it in a less generic way, you know, maybe using a quote from a trainee you've spoken to or from a webinar you attended involving that firm. You could talk about the training, but try to pick out something about the training that's totally unique. When I was applying to Freshfields, I focused on the three-month rotations because most other firms have six-month rotations. That was quite unique. And then I related it back to myself uh, by saying you know, the reason the three-month rotations appeal because it means I'll see far more areas of law than I would at your competitors. And that means I'm much more likely to find the area of law that kind of best aligns with my interests and, and skills and, and that kind of thing. Um, you could look at trainee intake size if it's a much smaller intake you know, maybe that suggests you'll get the chance to earn more responsibility if the firm is super committed to legal tech that might show that it's kind of at the forefront of innovation which could help it to continue winning the best work they might have pro bono or csr or diversity schemes that really resonate with um, your own values and kind of causes that you've worked you've worked alongside in the past but um, do your research, try to find things that are different. And as with career motivation questions, just relate every statement back to yourself. You know, why do you care? Why does that set the firm um, apart in your eyes?
1: Brilliant. I love how you've broken that down um, and yeah, into tangible steps that listeners can can follow. So thank you for that. Um, I wondered if you'd be able to give your top tips for answering competency-based interview and application questions when applying to law firms.
0: Sure. So a, a, one mistake that I see come up time and time again on CVs, cover letters, application answers, mock interviews, all that kind of stuff is people forget that the interviewer doesn't know anything about them or, or might not know very much about them. Um, interviews might be CV blind, but just don't assume the interviewer has the context they need to understand what we are talking about. So if you're articulating uh, how you've developed a particular skill or how you've demonstrated a competency, always start by giving context explain the role. So your first statement might be something like whilst treasurer of university law society, my role involved and then set out a couple of things that you did. Once you've done that, then you can draw out the the relevant skills. You can explain how that role uh, or why that role required you to kind of be a strong team worker or be highly, highly organized or, um, you know, speak to large audiences and that kind of thing. So just don't forget to give context. In terms of which which kind of extracurricular activities or which experiences you draw upon, um, the net might be a lot wider than you think because there are so many transferable skills you can pick out from things that are seemingly totally unrelated to law or the city or finance or or that kind of thing. So to give an example, if you have been team captain for netball or football or something like that, you might think, well, that's not relevant to law, but actually as team captain, You've needed to demonstrate interpersonal skills to, to kind of work with all your, your team members. You might have needed to motivate others. And there's a leadership aspect to that. If you've arranged training or organized team kit and that kind of thing, that requires organization and time management skills. Um, during games, if you're the captain, you need to communicate constantly with everybody, kind of keep everybody gelling together. So there's communication skills. And you know, when you lose or things go wrong, you've got to pick yourself and everyone else back up. So there's your resilience. If you train every week for a year, that's commitment. That shows drive and motivation. If you have had to negotiate sponsorship or the price of kit or that kind of thing, that shows commercial acumen and negotiation skills. So there are so many skills you can draw out of experiences like that. And one of the reasons that matters is it means you can draw upon a much broader range of experiences when answering competency questions. Um, and that can make you seem like a more interesting a more interesting individual.
1: Definitely. Um Yeah, I think... Bringing a range of experiences definitely, yeah, provides more variety and, and probably interest um, for whoever's interviewing you. So yeah, I completely agree with that. And um, now, one type of question that always kind of threw me is situational questions. So I wondered if you'd mind sharing your top tips for answering those.
0: Sure, I'm really going to try and condense this because this was part. <laughs> of, this is part of almost two hours of video that I used. Okay. For you. A recent psychometric test module, but I'll try. So, um, I mean, situational judgment questions uh, and situational judgment tests are psychological tools used to evaluate uh, evaluate candidates' behavioral traits and social intelligence, cognitive abilities, um, those, those kinds of things with a view to measuring each candidate's suitability to the employer and the specific role they're applying for. Now, the way these tests are structured, they typically present you with a hypothetical work-related scenario, um, followed by, for example, like a list of proposed actions you could take, or a list of potential responses to the circumstances, or maybe a list of potential behaviours that that could be adopted in light of that situation. Um, And then when you face that, you need to choose what you deem to be the most or the least suitable option from the list, um, meaning the, the kind of the option that best correlates with how you would act or respond in those circumstances, or you might need to kind of rank the proposed responses or courses of action by their level of effectiveness or appropriateness. So that's just for the context, kind of what you will face now, in terms of how to approach these. Um, firstly, focus only on the information contained within the question. Like, don't make any assumptions about the context of a scenario. Just focus on what you were explicitly told um, when kind of reviewing the proposed responses. Secondly, research the employer and the nature of the role in advance. So when you're assessing which course of action to take, bear in mind what the firm is likely to expect from you in terms of your attitude, commitment, working hours, flexibility. Uh, and that kind of thing and consider the nature of the role as this can determine what would be expected of you and in turn that can help you to understand um, what what would be the best response in the in the scenario and to give an example if you're applying for a high pressure client facing role that you know involves long hours at times and don't forget that if you are questioned on how you would react if you are asked to cancel your social plans at a moment's notice um, to work on some kind of urgent task that has just come in unexpectedly at the last minute. Now, the nature of that role might suggest the employer expects you to select whichever response involves working longer hours and being flexible with your time. Similarly, if you're um, applying for a role where accuracy and attention to detail are key, bear that in mind if you're asked, if some question asks you whether you would roster a piece of work. Um, just to get it done as quickly as possible. Saying that, don't forget that firms might differ in terms of the types of responses they expect. So there's no such thing as an objectively correct answer for for every scenario. The context is key. And that's why it's really important to take into account the types of behaviours that each prospective employer will be looking for. Now, kind of final tip here, I know that might conflict slightly with, with the previous tip, but be honest. It's important to remember these tests aren't designed to catch you out. They're designed to test your suitability to the firm and the role. So if you answer questions honestly and you don't get through that round of the assessment process, then maybe the firm or the role wasn't right for you. Your priorities and expectations might not align with what the firm expects. So if instead you lied and you got the job, you might be quite miserable anyway. Um, On the flip side, Uh, If you respond with what you think the firm is looking for, rather than answering honestly, you might then get rejected on the basis of answers that didn't genuinely reflect how you would have reacted in reality. So just try to bear all of that in mind, um, throw in a bit of common sense based on what you understand the role to involve, um, and then (laughs) cross your fingers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's a really good point about being authentic and answering questions how you would actually act. But then I suppose um, there's always... Uh, the flip side, like you like you said, applying common sense to certain situations. Like I, I personally struggled at the beginning because I come from another career where I'm used to having a lot of responsibility. So I would always pick like the most proactive response, even though as a trainee you wouldn't necessarily be able to send documents out without like a supervisor being there. So I think just trying, yeah, I think understanding the role is, is key for answering those types of questions um, as well.
0: That's a brilliant, really, really, brilliant point. And I guess the more you can learn about what's expected of trainees and how the hierarchy works and you know where there could be room for liability, um, the better prepared you will be to uh, assess these these questions.
1: Exactly. Okay, so we're recording just a week or so before um, the uh, coronavirus rules sort of relax a little bit, but we're still a long way off from going back to the office. So um, interviews and back schemes are likely to be online this summer, um, I just wondered if you had any advice for those who are completing interviews or back schemes online.
0: Sure. So, I mean, th- I mean there's loads of advice around how to tackle group exercises, negotiation exercises and icebreakers, competence interviews and all that kind of stuff. But I'll, I'll set that aside just in the interest of, of time today. and I cover that stuff in a, in a dedicated module in the Academy. But some top tips for interviewing in a virtual setting. And actually, this would apply equally to networking meetings and firstly check your settings in advance you know if you're really if you use zoom all the time and you're used to kind of entering a zoom call and the camera is automatically off and the microphones automatically off don't assume that that will be the case in every context so um, try to familiarize yourself with the platforms and what happens but bear in mind as soon as a call starts the settings might not be what you're used to i mean i got caught out i got caught out once in a team call where i assumed the call would start with my video off. I was lying in a hammock, with uh, snapback <laughs> on and Ray Bans, uh, and suddenly the entire team could see me looking frankly ridiculous. So you know, I'll tell a few stories here, just so you can learn from my mistake. <laughs> um, a second second tip would be dress properly from head to toe. I know everyone jokes around about wearing kind of pajamas on the bottom and a shirt on the top, but um, you know, dress as if you were were going to an actual interview. Um, because you never know, you might need to stand up for some reason, and that might be highly embarrassing. Um, it happened to a friend of mine. I won't say what they were or weren't wearing, but had to stand or stood up, forgot what they were or <laughs> weren't wearing, the bottom half in front of their entire team at quite a big law firm. Um, I was once delivering a webinar to sort of 800 people. My wife's phone kept going off on, kind of on her desk in the office, and I couldn't get up to turn the phone off because I was wearing bright pink flamingo swimming trunks, and I didn't want 800 people to see that. So I learned from my mistakes. Uh, in terms of setting, find a, a quiet, private, well-lit place to to kind of do the interview or, or the networking meeting. Make sure your background is respectable. So I know people; some people have like funny paintings of dogs smoking and stuff like that. Just make sure they're not in view. You don't want clutter everywhere because that might suggest that you're you're a bit chaotic in terms of organization. So just keep it simple. Nothing that can distract the interviewer. Um, you know, shut out pets and make sure everyone else in the house is aware you're interviewing so they don't disturb you and, and kind of ask them to keep the noise down. Now, look, firms understand that this isn't an ideal situation for anybody. So if, if a dog does come bounding in, or, you know, for me, I've had, my, I've had my two-year-old burst in on so many client calls and webinars that firms understand there's only so much you can do, but um, it's more that it might throw you a little bit. You don't want anything to knock your composure um, during an interview. Try to, to do whatever you can to preserve the internet connection. So don't, don't forget that you're actually streaming Netflix or Spotify or something like that in the background or on other devices. Try and be close to the router. And, and again, try and ask other people in the house not to, not to download anything massive in, uh, during the course of your interview. But again, if connections drop, firms understand and, and don't let that affect your, um, your composure. Another tip I learned about the hard way: like, close all programs on your computer, close your browsers, um, make sure WhatsApp is off, uh, your phone is on airplane mode, all, all that kind of stuff. Because um, otherwise, you might get really distracted by notifications constantly popping up. And nowadays, we're all trained to see a notification, get distracted by it, and then just think, I wonder what that message is about. Or who's that person that's just connected with me on LinkedIn? And, and that can then distract you. Um, on that same webinar I talked about earlier where the phone rang, I had accidentally left a browser open with LinkedIn on. And I probably received a, a connection request every one and a half seconds the entire way through my presentation. And oh, Each time I got a notification and it was so distracting and totally my fault. Um, so bear that in mind. Um, I don't know whether this is just an Apple thing as well, but I had my phone on silent during one during one call and my mum rang this was actually another webinar my mum rang (laughs) and it my phone was on silence that was fine but the call then transferred onto my laptop and started ringing out loud midway through this webinar so um my lesson from that is if you've got a a mac and you've got an iphone maybe turn the iphone off or on on airplane mode don't just rely on silent um what else a couple other things um Try to avoid typing. If you're typing, it can be incredibly loud depending on where your microphone is, which distracts the interviewer, but they might also think you're trying to Google an answer or something to help you. So if you want to take notes, that's great. They can help with your learning in the longer term, but maybe use an old school uh, pen and paper setup. Um, If your sound and mic quality isn't great, then consider using a headset or headphones because this can... Um, kind of shut out external noise and make you a little bit clearer. Um, I don't do that, so I'm being a bit of a hypocrite here. But the, the mic on my, my laptop's pretty good, and I can generally trust the house will be quiet when I'm when I'm delivering webinars and interviews like this. Uh, and my final tip, and I give this tip to, to the people that I coach and mentor as well: um, pre-record yourself. Try and figure out what your weaknesses are, um, and then. If there is something you can jot down on a post-it note, you stick on your screen during the interview, that might be really helpful. So a lot of people really struggle with eye contact in virtual settings because you end up watching the video of the other person or the video of yourself, whereas like eye contact is uh, is your actual webcam, the lens of your webcam. So for some people, I say to them, just put a post-it note next to your webcam with an arrow pointing towards the lens and that helps them to keep eye contact. If you tend to speak really quickly when you're nervous, can just write the word slow in capital letters and that will help to keep bringing you, bringing you in check. Um, the other thing is people forget to smile when they're nervous. So for a lot of people, that post-it note will have a smiley face on it, the word slow and then an arrow pointing to the webcam and that will help with their general delivery. And if you deliver it in a positive way, you're much more likely to build a rapport with the interviewer. Remember, if you smile, your voice sounds a bit happier and a bit more um, enthusiastic and that can help you to come across as if you are genuinely interested in the job and you're genuinely happy to be there, even if on the inside you are terrified. So I hope those tips help anyway.
1: Honestly, you've given so much great advice. And hopefully the listeners will at least, you know, learn from some of those little <laughs> anecdotes that you told, especially the thing about the iPhone. You know, you put your phone on silent, you think you're safe. And then all of a sudden it's like popping up on your screen. So, yeah, all oh, oh, brilliant advice. So thank you for sharing that.
0: No worries. Uh, yeah, I hope sales of Post-it notes skyrocket. Unfortunately, I don't have Post-it note business. Maybe that's next
1: maybe okay um let's move on now to commercial awareness um you know it's a bit of an elusive topic really but what what is your advice for developing and demonstrating commercial awareness
0: okay so this is this is about 4 to 5 hours of content in <laughs> my So i'll really try and distill this um But if you understand what commercial awareness means, at least in the context of um, kind of city interviews, then that can really help. So I I think of commercial awareness in these two strands, which are a little bit interlinked. Um, On the one hand, it's an understanding of how businesses operate. So these kind of internal micro factors, you know, what are the risks businesses face? How do they raise finance? Why would one business buy another? And all that kind of business specific knowledge. Now, the second strand is the kind of higher level external macro factors that affect businesses and industries in general, kind of politics, the economy, um, things like the pandemic, all of that high level stuff that has a, a broader impact. Um, the two are interlinked because if you're advising a business, you need to understand how that, businesses work, uh, how that business works and kind of any specific challenges it's facing and how it's performing and how all that fits together you also need to understand the broader factors that affect that business and maybe loads of other businesses, because that's what makes sure your advice has context. So that's kind of my definition. And you can prepare for each strand in different ways. Um, starting with, well, let's start with that second strand, the kind of current affairs, what's going on in the world stuff. So when preparing for that, I, I came up with this analogy, because I know people panic about commercial awareness. And sometimes they might read like a random article in the Financial Times every couple of weeks when they feel a bit guilty for not preparing. And that approach doesn't work. Now, if you think about a dense novel, like 500 pages or whatever, when you read the first couple of pages, at that point, it might not seem very interesting or very gripping. And that's because you don't understand the characters, the history, how the stories weave together and all the kind of stuff that makes a book great. Once you're 150 pages in and you've understood the kind of character development and the history and what's going on, that's when a really good book uh, is difficult to put down. Now I'm not saying reading about current affairs is ever gonna be as great as reading a novel, um, but some of those points remain the same. So if you read random articles out of context, you won't really understand them, um, which means you won't find them interesting. So instead, I would take an approach that focus on, focuses on kind of little and often. Um, try to commit to even five minutes every day, whether it's skimming the headlines or, or whatever. Uh, and after a few weeks, you'll be surprised at how much more interesting you find it and how much more confident you become discussing um, discussing whatever it is you've been reading about. Now, a great way to get yourself into that habit is to subscribe to Digests. So I, I still read religiously once a week a brilliant... Um, digest from The Economist. It's totally free. It summarizes the top kind of 10 to 15 um, political and economy-related events from around the world. Each summary is maybe 10 words long, so you can get through that in two and a half to three minutes. I then read a digest from a company called CB Insights that summarizes tech trends, investment trends, industry trends. and, And again, I think that comes in three times a week, takes a couple of minutes to read, and it covers off that kind of knowledge. Um, I'm sure there are all sorts of news websites that have digests. I'm assuming BBC Business News does, but you know, that's where you could get your, your kind of commercial business news. But if you can read five to 10 digests like that a week, you will slowly, um, slowly but surely pick up a really good level of uh, foundational knowledge and it won't take much time or commitment at all. Uh, in a lot of interviews, you need to you, you might be asked kind of what have you been reading about in the news or what have you found interesting?" and you might need to do a bit more prep and research into into a couple of topics so you can talk about it or present on it at length and For me, when I was preparing those types of stories, I found BBC Business News to be a great starting point and Firstly, the articles are short they 're concise they 're easy to understand. But at the end of each article, there are also related links that can help you to trace the kind of history of a story or um, kind of related articles and build up a bigger, broader picture of um, what's going on. Um, Finally, on that uh, kind of current affairs and industry trends strand, if you're applying to a firm, read the firm's website. It's likely they'll have a blog section or a kind of client portal section or, or something where they give their take on certain developments. It might be a big legal development or regulatory development, it might be a commercial development or tax related, but you know, if you find a story there and you can actually read what, you know, read about the firm's house opinion on it, then at least you're safe in the knowledge that that's a, a really great starting point to then build upon f- with your, your research. Now, going to that first strand of commercial awareness, the kind of business-specific stuff, how businesses operate, M&A, all that kind of thing. Um, obviously, I'm going to be biased here and say my books are a really good um, starting point because I kind of focused on that type of technical knowledge that I needed throughout all of my interviews. Um, I always recommend books by Christopher Stokes. Um, the one I read to help me with my interview was All You Need to Know About the City, which is fantastic. It gives a great overview of the kind of key players in the, in the city, what they do, how they interact, and all that kind of thing. But uh, my favorite way of learning about business and, and how businesses work is by reading um, company biographies and founder biographies and books covering the stories of, of um, how different companies were founded and the challenges they faced and how they grew. So the, the book that kicked all this off for me, it was called The Upstarts um, by an author called Brad Stone. And that charts Uber and Airbnb from the very earliest days where they were knocking around ideas for their businesses right the way through to kind of raising investment, regulatory challenges, and then becoming these kind of global tech superstars. So I really recommend The Upstarts. And if you like that, the same author's has written a book about the founding of Amazon. There's a book on Elon Musk that's brilliant. Um, Shoe Dog. It was written by the Nike founder. It's a brilliant insight into the early days of Nike. Um, actually, Camilla, I've, I've put a lot of these books up on a on a web page just so people can access them. So okay. I'll send you the link, and if that can be somehow linked to the podcast, hopefully people will find that interesting.
1: Yeah, sure. We can definitely put that in the description box. Brilliant. And
0: then, I mean, finally, I, I've for years now, every time I read a term that I'm not totally familiar with, whether it's NFTs or some kind of new crypto term, or you know, for, for students, it might be kind of, what is a bond? Um, there's a website called Investopedia, which provides brilliant, succinct definitions for a huge range of um, commercial terms. So if you're reading the news, you don't understand something, get in the habit of Googling these terms. And if you're worried that a bond might come up in an interview and you wouldn't know how to explain what a bond is, then just Google you know, bond definition investopedia. And, and that, that resource has really helped me over the years. So uh, just a whistle stop, but hopefully that gives an idea of how you can kind of develop your, your commercial awareness.
1: Definitely. Thank you for breaking it down into really like digestible um, steps. Again, I think that's you know brilliant. Um, and I really liked your analogy about the novel as well. I think that's so true. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's move on now um, to networking. So I watched an interview online with you, actually, where, where you mentioned the impact that networking and mentorship has had on your career. And I wondered if you could explain the importance of networking to the listeners and maybe, you know, provide some advice for those who want to improve their networking skills. Sure.
0: Um, so look, with networking, it's the one thing that's tied together all of the kind of different moves I've made throughout my career. You know, it's how I source work, it's how I meet collaborators, it's how I progress myself professionally. Um, it is so important and it only gets more important as you become more senior. You know, in a law firm, in a very junior stage, it can help you to access firm insights, learn about how the firm works, um, get career advice throughout your training and beyond. Uh, It can help you to build relationships with more senior people and doing so can help you with your career progression and and make you feel a lot more comfortable when seeking feedback and and guidance. It can also help you to access the type of work you want to focus on As if you network effectively with supervisors and through that, you let them know that, you know, you really want to work on a sports law related matter or something like that. And hopefully yours will be the first name that comes to their mind if they suddenly pick up that kind of work. It can also help with your next career move. I mean, so many people go on to work for a firm subsequently that they've either worked against or in collaboration with in the past. So if you're working with a, with an external firm or you, you get on really well with someone at your firm who then leaves, that can kind of kickstart the next step in your career. So I cannot emphasize the importance enough as a student, networking is more important for picking up um, kind of firm and career insights. If you're networking with a trainee at some kind of virtual networking event, you know that's where you might pick up a good quote about the firm's culture, or you might learn something unique about the training that can feed into your your firm motivation question. Um, you might also learn more about what trainees do, and that knowledge could be helpful in the context of a, a kind of law centric case study. Um, but kind of yeah, le- learning learning about the industry is, is a um, is a real benefit from a student's point of view. Uh, in terms of some advice, because the first thing is, it's, a lot of it is about mindset, especially in the early days, if you're not that confident networking. You need to try and develop this, I, I call it a FOMO mindset or a fear of missing out mindset. So you need to take active steps to explore opportunities, really throw yourself out there because um, you know, opportunities don't just happen, you, you create them. So tying into that, don't discount people you haven't met. Don't just think, oh, this person's really junior, so they're probably useless. I'm gonna go and speak to the senior person, even though there are 15 other people there vying for their attention. You know, when I when I went to my very first um, Freshfields employer event in my first week at university, and you know, everybody swarmed the partner after the panel presentation, and I noticed a trainee standing by himself near the beers. So I just went over to the trainee, be honest, the beers were part of the reason, <laughs> But, you know, it, like it meant I had a really great 45 minute conversation uninterrupted, I could ask everything I wanted to ask, I had a really good opportunity to build up a rapport. And that trainee ended up providing really great help with my, my CV and my cover letter. After that we became friends and now nearly a decade on, um, We're still in touch. He came to my wedding. My wife and I went to his wedding. I actually got a text from him this morning about his next career move. So you just never know. And that was just because I didn't discount him purely because he was more junior than other people in the room. Um, Tying into all of this stuff, follow up every lead. If somebody says to you, oh, you're you're applying to Hogan Lovells. Oh, I know someone that attended an open day there. You know, Would you like to speak to them? The answer should always be yes. Even if you think, oh, they only did an open day. How could they possibly help? The FOMO mindset should mean that you think well for all i know that conversation might be a hundred times more useful than i could possibly anticipate and maybe that person's become really friendly with an associate and that associate will speak to me because of the link with this person you've got to think about it in a really positive way always think you know if you if i if i say no to this meeting could that be the one meeting that changes the trajectory of my career and i've had meetings like that i've had a meeting with someone that i nearly didn't take And actually that meeting has led to so many incredible things um, over the course of a few years. I talk about some of those very personal examples in my uh, networking and LinkedIn course on the academy, but I'll spare you that today just just for time. Um, I mean, linked to that, talking about confidence and resilience, it's really important that you expect knockbacks, expect rejection, expect wasted time, um, but learn not to take any of that stuff personally. Just always trust that it will be one day, will be worthwhile, even if one out of 10 meetings Kind of results in something great. That might be all you need to build up that confidence. Just sign up to every possible networking opportunity that you can. Don't initially put any pressure on yourself to kind of say amazing things. Just just say, I'm going to have at least 15 meetings at this career fair or this virtual careers event. I'm going to go into the meeting. I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to be polite, and then I'm going to leave. And I'm going to speak to someone else. Now the first few times you'll be a bit nervous and a bit hesitant before it starts. But if you do that 15 times in a row, those nerves um, will start to disintegrate. And if you can do that two, three times a term throughout your degree, you will naturally become a lot more confident. And you know, I, I built my confidence by my confidence networking by pitching my band back in my musician days to random people in shopping centres and in the street when we were on tour to try and build up more of a buzz around the band to try and get people to come see us live. You know, It was terrifying at the start. But after doing that for four or five hours a day, seven days a week for weeks on end whilst touring, it just became more natural. And I didn't take things more per- so personally. And I had so many positive interactions that I could focus on. And that made me less hesitant when I was then approaching new people for the first time um okay so mindset and confidence aside uh, a couple of practical tips so if you do manage to get someone to speak to you think about what you're going to say in advance think about your your narrative or your sort of elevator pitch that just summarizes in a succinct way kind of who you are what you've done and, and what you're looking for and if you start a meeting by confidently reeling off that for 20 seconds or 30 seconds you should naturally then relax into the rest of the conversation uh, questions are a really important part of networking, especially for students, because you know, your focus is on eliciting information. So, avoid generic questions. You know, ask people about their personal experiences and their career. You know, what's kept them in the career for so long, or for a trainee, were you deciding between different firms, and what made you pick this firm? Kind of, what is your role like on a daily basis? That kind of stuff. Um, should give you unique insights that other people that aren't in your lucky position, where you're kind of one-on-one in this networking situation, it'll give you insights that, though, that other people won't won't get to pick up. So do think about that. And finally, follow up with a thank you. Now, I think networking is um, based on a sort of series of touch points with each person. And the more touch points you have, the more scope there is for that relationship to develop. So if touch point one is speaking to them during a, a virtual networking event, Touchpoint two might be a LinkedIn connection request with a message thanking them for their time. If you then get an interview, touch point three might be messaging that person to say, you know, we met at this event, I just wanted to thank you again for your insights, it helped me to get an interview um, with the firm. If that leads to an internship, then pop your head around the door of their office, remind them who you are, give them another thank you. You know, at that point, they might remember you, they might remember your name, and they'll be much more likely to then go for a coffee with you and give you further insights or something like that. So yeah, you know, thank you can go a long way. Uh, finally, if you're struggling to get someone to speak to you, I mean, the the best way is to try and get a direct introduction from someone else. You know, going back to that Hogan Lovells example, if your friend knows someone that's done an open day at Hogan Lovells who you want to speak to, and that friend says, oh, here's their email address or here's their LinkedIn account, reach out, in that situation, I want you to say to your friend, I really appreciate it, but would you mind please sending an email to that person, copying me in and introducing me directly? That direct introduction makes such a difference. If I flip it back on myself, if someone messaged me out of the blue who I've never met, never spoken to, and they ask for advice, it's so easy for me to ignore them because there are no repercussions. Now, I don't. I generally reply to everybody who messages me, and I do my best to help out whoever I can. But theoretically, it would be very easy for me to ignore that person. If instead, a friend of mine or a colleague messages me saying, hi, Jake, I've copied in this person. They could really do with some advice. Would you mind helping them? In that situation, following that direct introduction, I have to respond. My hands are tied because if I don't, I know I'm making my friend look bad. I'm looking bad to my friend. um, So it can just be a much better way of getting someone to reply. But I understand that's not always possible. So if you need to reach out to somebody and you can't get an introduction, make sure you do your research and you personalize your outreach. That makes all the difference if I receive a message from someone and it looks generic and I think, well, this message has probably gone out to 500 people, it's really easy for me to think, well, I just don't need to bother replying because I'm sure someone else will reply. If instead I get a message that has clearly been tailored to me, whether it's mentioned something about my past experience or someone says, you know, I attended this webinar, you said this, so you know, I'd really appreciate some advice on that, and I'm far more likely to reply because that person has clearly done their research. They've explained to me why they're reaching out to me in particular, kind of tied it clearly into what they're looking for, um, and it makes it easier to respond. Also, when you are sending someone you don't know a message, make sure you tell them what you actually want. Give like a clear call to action, whether it's a phone call or just some quick, quick advice on LinkedIn or something like that, but just clearly uh, make sure they they are clear on what you're asking for for, uh, from them. On that note, don't forget that they are busy. They may be stressed. They don't owe you anything. So don't ask for too much. You know, do whatever you can to make their role as easy as possible. Offer to speak to them whenever suits them. If you're going to meet them, um, you know, say, you know, I'll, I'll happily come to the office. I'll come to wherever you want, whatever time works. If they cancel on you last minute, take it graciously. You know, Appreciate that something might have come up and they have to prioritize that and be, be really flexible um, because they will appreciate that.
1: Fantastic. I really like the FOMO mindset advice as well. That's definitely something that I'm going to take away from today and apply to my own life. So thank you very much for breaking that down. So I had a quick look on your LinkedIn and I noticed that your career and consulting, sorry, career coaching and consulting business um, also helps aspiring lawyers with personal branding coaching. Um, Why is personal branding important for aspiring lawyers and how can we go about developing a personal brand?
0: Sure, no, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, you, your, your personal brand creates people's first impressions, uh, people's first impression of you, and first impressions can stick. So um, it's important that you position your personal brand in a way that reflects kind of the best possible you. So looking at LinkedIn, for example, a lot of people, if I said to them, send me your CV right now, would probably be a bit nervous about that. And they'd think, oh, I need to check it for typos, or I haven't updated it for, for a couple of months. And they would do a bunch of work on it before sending it out people aren't necessarily the same with LinkedIn, especially students. Um, but you need to remember that LinkedIn, having a LinkedIn profile, it's a little bit like sending out your CV every second of every day to thousands of people. You never know when someone's gonna look at it. You never know when a recruiter is kind of struggling to decide between two, two applicants to progress through to interviews. So maybe they go onto LinkedIn, interviewers might look at it before you start your interview. So it's really important to think of LinkedIn as, as a potential first impression of you and keep it up to date. And accurate and reflecting kind of your skills and experience in the best possible way you know, in more of a career context you're in a firm you build up a reputation and this can affect people's willingness to work with you especially in smaller firms where everyone knows everyone you know, people want to work with with juniors who have who show composure they do the work accurately they're enthusiastic And if you don't do those things word might spread so you've got to keep that personal brand going right the way through now in terms of how to develop your personal brand, it's, it's really important that you know yourself and you know your experiences really well, because that way you can talk about the experiences in a very positive way, you know, whether it's on LinkedIn application form or, uh, or in an interview. Now, one way I did that, I, I had a version of my CV where I footnoted every one of the experiences. And in the footnotes, I wrote down as much detail as I could possibly um, remember about all of those experiences. And I revised that document. So all of that information was in the forefront of my mind. And that meant in an interview, I could confidently talk about any of those experiences, um, giving loads of detail and showing loads of enthusiasm, which reflected, I think, very well on on kind of how engaged I was in what I was doing. I mean, personal brand will also be things like your your personality. And I'd say don't be too afraid to exhibit your personality, uh, as long as you can always, uh, always know where the line is between being professional and being too casual. So I mean takeaways from that make sure your LinkedIn your CV and, and your applications reflect who you are what you 've done and what you want to do and that last point is important I mean I've had to rebrand myself from musician to lawyer then from lawyer to consultant and that took a lot of work um, especially presenting myself very consistently if I had just left if everything on my LinkedIn suggests all I do is practice law because all of my focus was on fresh fields i can't imagine startups would think I had the experience necessary to you know to help them sell sustainability products or to help them create a website that promotes something else like that. So you know I focused more on transferable skills that were relevant to what I do now um, and, and rewrote all of my prior experiences to present quite a consistent picture of me and, and what I what I've done and also what I do. Uh, and it's important I think that you know, students and, and graduates and people working keep their keep their LinkedIn in, in that kind of shape.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that advice. Um, so oh, I think we've reached the end of our um our chat today, which is a real shame. But but before I let you go, I wondered if you would um expand on what we can expect to see next from City Career Series and the Commercial Law Academy.
0: Sure thing. I mean, I haven't really told many people this yet, but with City Career Series, we're currently working on a business presentation handbook um, which talks about things like how to deal with symptoms of stress and nerves which i'm really excited to get out i've been working on that for years with um a a wonderful lady i met who um trained trained me at freshfields in business presentation and and trains a a lot of uh, professionals across the city there'll also be kind of regular updates to our existing books Uh, i'm planning a series of um kind of comprehensive free webinars in the autumn so that'll keep me nice and busy uh, for the commercial law Academy I'm currently working on a, a law firm insights module focusing very much on kind of the key USps of a bunch of firms taking a huge amount of time but I'm hoping to have that ready for the summer um, there's also a legal tech module in the works which again will hopefully be ready for the next um, academic cycle I'm currently doing monthly current affairs wrap-ups with Peter Watson from Watson's daily they're Free to attend, but then the recordings become part of the content. So we've got a great one covering 2020, and then um, February 21, March 2021. There's one coming up in April, and we basically talk about key current affairs um, from like a markets, a business, and a legal perspective. Uh, Final thing: I'm now trying to animate a lot of the technical content to make it even easier to 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 kind of learn. So I've got a couple of animated videos up already, and over the coming months, hopefully, a lot of the stuff focusing on. Um, kind of MA and, and business concepts will be in animated form with a nice little webinar video in the top right hand corner. So watch this space. I'm doing my best to get all of this done as, as quickly as possible, but that's that's the direction we're going in.
1: Wonderful. Well all I can say is I don't know how you managed to fit it all in because it sounds like you're doing so many amazing things. Um, so yeah, I mean what I'll do, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. You have provided so much detailed advice. Um, and what I'll do for the listeners is leave links to the resources mentioned in the show, including the Commercial Law Academy, all the books that have been mentioned, and the webinars as well, if, if we can um, get links to those as well. We'll put everything in the in the show notes so that you can, you can uh, find those nice and easily. Um, but yeah, thank you again, Jake, for coming on the show. It's been great to have you on here.
0: No worries. Thanks so much for having me. And to all the listeners, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to do that.
1: Fantastic. Okay. well, thank you so much and um, see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks, Camilla. To hear more of The Student Lawyer's podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today.